Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant, another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churchtea.org. You know, sometimes particular faults of mine are glaring to me. And there are days, there are absolute days where my wife can't talk me out of them. And she tries. She's one of the best cheerleaders that I know, and I mean that sincerely. She, she's like, Aaron, but you're not paying attention. And there are days I, I, I just can't get past how messed up I am. Anybody like that? I, I have those days. And so about a, about a week ago, I got the privilege of seeing this guy speak. That's Dr. Phil, not the one from TV. Dr. Phil Campbell is an educator from Tennessee. He goes around, he's a consultant for high schools and different things, how to, how to motivate their kids, how to overcome obstacles in schools. And I got to sit in an assembly with Dr. Phil. And Dr. Phil's about, I don't know, five foot eight or something, five foot nine. And he's a really short dude. But I found myself sitting in this assembly and I felt so small next to this dude. He could, walk, he could move the crowd, man. He could, he could engage the students. He, he had the whole place kind of right here. And he didn't look. When I saw, when, honestly, when we walked into the room, he was sitting on the front row where, like, all the dignitaries were. And I went, who is that guy? Why do they have him here? And then the more he talked about what he had given a chance to do, was given a chance to do in schools and the lives he'd been used to alter, I went, dude. And I just found myself shrinking. And then I found out from Greg this week that he's actually a follower of Jesus. He didn't get a chance to talk about that in a public school setting, but he, you could tell just the life of Jesus, the joy of God was creeping out of his soul right there in the middle of the, the assembly. And I, I found myself comparing myself to him. You know what? I don't win when I compare myself to others. I, 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 I don't win. I, I, I don't win when I do that. I, I make it really hard. You know what I know? I, I, I don't win when I do that. I have to be really careful not to be someone else. Anybody else like that in here? And I found out lately the only person I have to strive to be like is Jesus. And I think, you know, I think, I think we all suffer in the comparison trap. My guess is, while we're watching the sketch of Sarah Reeves up on the screen while that last song was playing, some of you ladies are like, oh, I wish I had her eyes. She has, it was just a sketch. Oh, she's got beautiful hair. Why don't I have her hair? And we, we, get, tra- we get trapped in that, don't we? And we, uh, we suffer in that trap. And here's something we have to realize. We have to realize we aren't who we should be. How many of you feel like you've arrived and you're where you should be? Nah. Didn't think so. We aren't supposed to be anyone else. You're not supposed to be anyone else. You're supposed to be you. He chose your fingerprints on purpose. They're completely unique, right? He drew the lines of your fingerprints. You're the design. He's the artisan. And so Jesus is the only model we're to shape our lives after. There's a bunch of moms probably sitting around here right now who want their, 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 their heritage, their, 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 their lineage to become something. Anybody like that? You're hoping that they become something, right? Well, Jesus has more hopes than you have. So you can't live your calling 
unless like Jesus you're becoming. You cannot, you cannot live your calling unless like Christ you are becoming. Now, we, we, we've been reading, our, our text for this, this series, Living Your Calling, it starts in Ephesians 4, when we've read it every week, and I want to read it again because repetition makes things stick. And so here's the deal. Paul says this, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you, using the intensity of Paul, he's not making a, a, a nice suggestion. He, he, he's emphatic. He's, he's intense. He's like, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, not somebody else's calling. I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. And that's where we started week one. you got to know that you're called, right? Then we bounced into week two, and we do it like this. We read from verse two. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. You can't fulfill your calling, we said, unless you're living by loving, living and loving. It's impossible. Some of you thought you'd show up here the next few weeks, and this, cuss, this, this, this formula would pop on the screen, and if I do A plus B plus C equals D, and I'd be on, on track, and that, that, that's not, the Christian life is not like that. There are certain things God calls us to, and in the calling and in the carrying out of those things, we find us, we find ourselves living the life He intended for us to live. You can't put it in a formula. If you if you came and you're like, oh, finally, I'm gonna know. No, you gotta start applying the principles, and then the, the then, then then the materialization of what your life's supposed to be begins to come to the surface. So if you don't know that you're called, you miss it. If you don't live in loving, you're missing it. You can try and find a role. You can find a, try, find a, try to find a job. You can try and find some kind of significance. But if you're not knowing that God's got, it, got, got his heart, his heart is for you, you'll miss it. If you're not letting that heart that he put inside you bleed out and love him and love others, you're going to miss it. And then last week we talked about this. Last week we talked about verse 3 through 6. It said this, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. There's one body, one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. And we said this, you can't live your calling until you're living in belonging. Some of you can't find your calling. I had a guy come, come to church here one time, and we shared DNA, truthfully. We 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 are family. And and he came and came for a couple weeks and I don't know if he was fishing for a job or whatever. And I finally we finally, we had lunch one afternoon together and he told me this, Aaron, I have applied at seventy-two different churches for jobs. And the funny thing about him was he hadn't lit in a church any place for any period of time very long for the last several years. And I looked at him and I said, You know what your problem is? He didn't like my answer. I said, you don't stay put so God can plant you in a place. You're not building in relation with the people. You just want a job. You don't want to be a part of a community of faith. You don't want to be a part of a people. You don't want to love it. You just want to get paid for doing ministry. That's what you want. He didn't like it. And that was last Sunday he showed up here at church. And so I think there's a, there's a, you can't find out what you're supposed to be until you begin to walk out life with the people of God. People who share like precious faith. That's why we're big on circles. That's why we're big on small groups. Because you're going to float around and try and do your own thing. And you're going to end up in weird places doing dumb stuff and wake up one morning and wonder what happened. 
And God's going to use people around you to do this next part. Because from verse 7, verse seven, we just read down through verse 6. From verse 7 to verse 12, Paul talks like this. He says, everybody's got a gift. And these are the gifts God gave his church. And he talks about apostles. And he talks about prophets. And he talks about evangelists. And he talks about pastors. And he talks about teachers. Which I think is kind of funny because he starts his line by saying all of us have a gift. And then almost all the teaching you hear on that goes like this. And these are leaders in the church. And out of context, I go, that's not contextual. That's not what he said. That's not what's in there. He said all of us have a gift. And the gifts God gave his church are. This is what I think. I think there are people who have prominent roles that lead to leadership. But I know pastors who are better teachers than they are nurturing people. I know pastors who are more apostolic than they are just about the local church. I know pastors who operate more prophetically than they do in a pastor role because we give them the title of pastor, they're leading a congregation, but they're not serving that role. Here's the thing all of us are probably going to fall into one of these roles. God's going to call us to go out and do things nobody else has ever done. That's apostolic, right? Some of us love intercession. We love worship. We love hearing from God. That's prophetic. Some of us love to go share the good news with someone. And we'll never have a tent revival. And we'll never operate a crusade. But we're no less evangelists. Some of us are nurturing by nature. We just love to help hurting people and make sure they get what they need and they need fed. And that's pastoral. That's nurturing. And some of us love to garner things from the Word of God. And we love to share it with other people. That's being a teacher. And so whatever your gift and calling is probably leads you into one of those roles. And you'll never have a placard on your office. You may never even have an office. That doesn't make you less than. And you got to find that God's called me to something for the good of the body. He goes on to talk about how these things work together for the good of the body. And he ends up at verse 13. And we're going to say this. We'll talk about this the rest of the morning. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Verse 13. I'm going to say this. If there's disunity in the body of Christ, it's because somebody's not being or acting Christ-like. If there's disunity here in some of our relationships, in some of our things, according to Ephesians 4.13, unity comes as a result of Christ-likeness. It's kind of like a marriage. You guys have heard Dr. Emerson Egrich, as some of you have heard him, heard him talk about love and respect, right? Some of the husband needs respect, and so that's what God commands. The wife needs love, so that's what God commands. And then, you know, you find yourself on this crazy cycle, and then it starts to spin. And then you're like, well, who should make the first move? And Dr. Egrich, with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, goes, the one who thinks they're the most mature. Well, if there's disunity among us, that means somebody's not being Christ-like. One of us has determined to be Christ-like and go back to verse 2 and operate in love, humility, and gentleness for the cause of our loves, bearing with one another's faults. That's being Christ-like. So I want to say this the rest of the morning. You can't live your calling unless, like Jesus, you are becoming. Impossible. You cannot, the object is not to have a role, the object is not to have a job, the object is not to have an office, the object is not to be known for what you do. The object is to become more like Jesus. That is the hope. 
of every one of us, or it should be. It should be the goal. The goal for us should not be to pack out arenas. The the goal for us should not be to to, to be known and write articles and books and spread all over the world. Our job as followers of Christ is to become more like him. Maybe that happens. Maybe it doesn't. But see, if we start succumbing to the Dr. Phil syndrome, we think we have to do school assemblies to matter. Are you hearing me? So here's the first thing in becoming like Jesus. You've got to understand. Living your calling is more about what you're becoming inwardly than the labels you're wearing outwardly. What's going on on the inside? See, religion does this. Religion says, i got to clean up the outside, and then things will start to come into place. Christianity says exactly the opposite. It says, let's work on the inside, and the outside will take care of itself. That's why some of you are anxious about me wearing shorts. You're worried about my outside. Hmm? Look at those crazy legs. Huh? Don't worry about the outside. You hear what I'm saying? Don't worry, don't worry about that. Colossians 3.10, listen, listen to these words. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Does he say anything about doing anything? He's talking about what you're becoming. He's not talking about what you're doing. You hear that? And I got a real question for you. It says put on your new nature, right? If you said a prayer one time and your nature didn't change, you didn't get born again. We can do all kinds of outward gyrations. We can cry. We can weep. We can have all that and walk away the same person. Because the Bible says, if a man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. Your attendance at church doesn't make you a Christian. And you may look the part. I've said this before, you've heard this before. You, you can go sit in your garage all you want to. You will never become an automobile. You can sit here week in and week out until something starts to happen on the inside and your nature changes. You have not made the connection to your heavenly father and your creator. And he wants you to know him more than he wants you to do things for him. He wants you to grow in him. Are you hearing me? That doesn't mean we don't struggle and don't have weakness. Don't miss this, okay? In this new life, it doesn't matter. Look at your neighbor and say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile. That's ethnicity. Doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised. That's religiosity. Doesn't matter if you're barbaric or civilized. That's your, your, how you navigate life. Doesn't matter if you're slave or free. Doesn't matter where you're on the social economic uh, uh, scale, right? Doesn't matter. Listen to the next word. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in us all. Boy, I get really worried about some of the rhetoric going around our, 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 our country right now. We stop forgetting that people are people and that they're all made in the image of God. And we think it's cute and funny to, to say certain things and to respond certain ways. And, to, 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 and, and, and we rally around, I'm going to say it, we rally around politicians who sink that divide bigger in between us. And that should not be so. In Jesus, none of that matters. And we got to stop looking at people as if that does matter. 
Jesus, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 4, when we get to heaven, every nation, tribe, tongue, and people will be in assembly there. And he says, the end doesn't come until we reach all of them. So it doesn't matter. Let's back away from that garbage, that that strife, that anger, that malice, that hatred. Let's get away from that completely because that should not be named among the people of God. And I don't care what policies a politician advocates, if we rally around when they say dumb things and we don't speak up and say something, we're, we're, we're not living as Christ. You, 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 you cannot live your calling unless, like Jesus, you're becoming. It's impossible. And if you're going to let culture draw the lines that you won't cross, you're missing Jesus. And, and, and so we, we, we've, got to, we've got to be the people of God all times and all places. And, 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 and you've got to worry about what's on the inside of you more than what people are thinking on the outside. Another thing, living your calling is about what you're adding and becoming. See, a lot of people think that their, their, their Christianity has to do with what they're not doing, right? I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't go with girls that do. And I'm, I'm the epitome of what it means to be a Christian, But if you read the Bible correctly, God's more concerned about who you are and how that outplays in your life than the the list of things you refuse to do. Listen to 1 Peter 3, uh, 1 Peter 1, 3. I'm going to read a long piece of scripture, just bear with me. By his divine power, and there'll be a big hallelujah there, God has power. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need. For living a godly life. There is no lack for you to be what God wants you to be. He's giving you all you need by His divine power. It has nothing to do with your weakness. It has nothing to do with the propensities of things you lean towards. It has everything to do with His power and His strength. We have received all this by coming to know Him. You see that line in all these scriptures? Knowing Him. The one who called us to Himself by means of His glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. And that should be another hallelujah. These are the promises that enable you. Look at your neighbor and tell him. He's talking to you. These are the promises that enable you to share, listen to this next word, his divine nature. There's that idea of getting what's going on on the inside. And escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Verse 5 says, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. How do you do that? You supplement your faith with a generous portion of moral excellence. And moral excellence with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with patient endurance. And patient endurance with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection, listen to this next line, with love for everyone, which goes back to Colossians 3.10. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to the next line. But those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. So, dear brothers, those God has called and chosen, he keeps bringing that back up, do these things. Work on your character. Let Jesus work on the inside, is what he's saying, and you will never fall away. Is that good? Then God will give you a grand inheritance into his eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Woo! 
Yes. That's what I'm talking about, right? He says, those who don't do, do this become short-sighted and blind, forgetting where they came from. You know what he's saying in there, kind of, beyond, kind of, kind of in, in between the lines? He's saying they become legalistic because they expect a standard that they can't live up to and neither can anybody else. And then they start to snare their nose down, forgetting that God saved them by his grace. Are you hearing me? Real easy to get there. If you're worried about what's on the outside and what's on the inside, you become legalistic because there are certain things you do really well. Then it's really easy to pay attention to what everybody else isn't doing well. You understand what I mean? We can become legalistic. We can become pharisaical. And I will remind you, those are the things that put Jesus on the cross, right? Those are the attitudes that led to his betrayal, that led to his beating and scourging, led to nails being put in his hands and a crown on his, on his head, and his eventual death was that kind of idea. He was messing with the religious system, and they didn't like it. And so here's the deal. We need to become more like all of those things end up at love. It starts with faith, right, and ends up at love. Did you catch that line? Which takes us back to week two. We end up at Galatians 5, 6, and it says this, All that matters, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself by love. Our calling is to love God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our strength, and to love others the way we love ourselves and to love other brothers like Jesus loved us. Those are the commandments we're to live by. We don't have this long list. Paul and Jesus several places said this is all that it's all about. That doesn't mean you don't speak truth. It does mean you offer grace where it's needed. You offer hope where it's needed. You offer help where it's needed because of your love. You offer forgiveness where it's needed. Let me encourage you along something. I'm going to get ahead of myself. Make every effort to respond to these promises. See, I want to say this to you. It says God has divine power and he's given promises. Would you look at your neighbor right now and say, he's got power. He gave us promises. Oh, you can do better than that. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Look at your neighbor and be really intense. Remember, Paul said, I beg you to live a life worthy of your calling. Now, I want you to look at your neighbor just with that same intensity. He goes, he's got power. Come on. He's got power. He gave us promises. When you put his power and his promises together in our lives, things change. When you live on his power and you, you, you run towards his promises, things change. And the things that change are not things that's you. You see life differently. You respond to life differently. You, you are ready to be what God wants you to be as you respond to his power, as you run towards his promises. That's why he gives us his word, man. That's awesome. And in the end of that, there's this great promise that he'll give you a grand entrance into his eternal kingdom. How many people, how many people like Flintstones? The Flint, not, the, not, not the vitamins. Those things are horrible. What is up with that? Those are bad. They used to, they used to sell out to me like I like, would love those when I was a kid. Have you had one lately since you became an adult? Those things are trashy. Put one of those things in your mouth. It's like, what is that? Ugh. Ugh. Dr. Beam told me one time, statistically, I'm going to burst a bubble. Can I burst a bubble? burst a couple already. Might as well keep going, right? You know, Dr. Beam told me one time when I was in his office, he says, statistically speaking, people who take all kinds of vitamins li don't live as long as people who don't. Is that right? 
Two years less. So way to go. Because we think certain things work to make us better and they don't. Am I right? What's going? Look at your neighbor and say, what's going on on the inside? And then look at him and go, no vitamin can fix you. Huh? No vitamin's fixing you, buddy. But Jesus can. Tell him Jesus can. Tell him. Tell him. Jesus can fix you. Huh? This is good today. I don't care. I'm having fun. There are some days preaching is hard and heavy, and there are some days it's just fun. And today's fun. Maybe it's the shorts. I don't know. It's fun. I, was, I, I got sidetracked. Flintstones, right? I mean, I loved the Flintstones when I was a kid, not the vitamins, right? Loved the Flintstones, but I loved that scene at the beginning of every episode, at the end of every episode, where they're doing the credits and stuff, and Fred comes in the door, and Dino busts his chops and lands on top of him and licks his face all over the place. Every time I read 1 Peter 1.11, and it talks about that grand entrance into the kingdom of heaven, I see that. I'm like, yes! That's what I want! I want to be welcomed with a grand entrance. I want the Dino entrance at, in heaven. I want to be able to slop on Jesus and say, I made it! You're my master, I'm home! Right? I just think in terms like it. I know I'm weird. You can't live your calling unless, like Jesus, you're becoming. It's impossible. It's impossible. Now listen to this. Living your calling is about allowing eternity to be a motivation for your purity. Let me say that again. Living your calling is about allowing eternity to be motivation for your purity. 1 John 3, 2 reads like this. This is good, man. Dear friends, we, listen to these words, we are already God's children. Holy smoke. I mean, I can just stop right there. We are already God's children. If we are in Christ, we already have a seat at the table. If, if we've, we've made Jesus the Lord of our lives, and I don't mean just said a prayer one time, I mean, man, Jesus, I want to follow you with the rest of my days. Every second, every moment, every time I get the chance, I just want to, I want to be near you. I want to walk for you. I want to live for you. If we've gotten there, we are his children. Now listen to the next line. But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. It's kind of anomalous in trying to figure out what it means to be like Christ, right? Just sometimes when you think you figured it out, you haven't yet. You know what I mean? Just when you've got one thing down, you find there's like three more you still have got, got, got to work on. Am I right? Now listen to this. But we do know, this is awesome, that we will be like him. There is a time coming in the future where I will be like Jesus. This messed up bag of bones right here. I mean, I, I just can't imagine. I, 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 I'm trying to get my mind around it. Like, I, I can't imagine what, is, what it's going to be like to figure that out. But we, we, we do know we will be like him, for we shall see him as he really is. If getting a paycheck is more important to you than that last line, oh, my goodness. Get to stand before the maker of heaven and earth. The one that drew your fingerprint lines on purpose. 
the one that flung the stars into space and put them where they belong. The one that spoke into nothing and created everything. The one that died a heinous death so that you could live. You're going to get to stand in front of him. You will see him, not some facsimile of some artist, what he thought Jesus might look like. Not some poetic imagery that's written in your mind. I think he's going to blow us away. I think we're going to be like, oh my gosh. What, 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 what. And we're probably going, oh my God, because he will be that, right? Oh my God, for real. He's my God right there in front of me. Oh my God. Oh, my, oh no. Listen to verse 3. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure. Just as he is pure. A real good check of what's going on on the inside is what your eager expectation is. If you have an eager expectation of the coming of Jesus, it changes everything. If you've got an eager expectation of some argument at work tomorrow, you're probably going to make the wrong move. If you've got an eager expectation of winning Publishers Clearinghouse sweepstakes, Wouldn't sell the farm on that. If you've got an eager expectation of getting some promotion, if you've got an eager expectation that someday your spouse is going to be perfect or your kids are, you're going to be disappointed and you're probably going to come out. And can I remind you, moms, this morning, when you look in the mirror, remember your DNA is in the life of those kids you expect to be perfect. Only a mom can say that. I love you just the way you are. Mom and Jesus, that's it, man. <laughs> Am I right? Huh? Because sometimes spouses think they love you the way they are, and then you, then you move in together. <laughs> Am I right? Huh? I, think, I mean, and, I, and you find out, like, man, there are bodily functions that come out of them. We, we were at a party last night, and I won't throw anybody out of the but we were at a party last night, and there was this, this, this older husband and wife, and um, the husband said something to the effect of, see, I can run around here like I do at my house. And he was kind of barking out orders, you know, for people to get something done. And, she, and the wife looked up at him and she, okay, I'm probably going to stretch some people here real quick again. She said, you going to walk around here and fart like you do at the house too? <laughs> and he kind of looked up into heaven and he said, well, ain't that the pot calling the kettle black? <laughs> and then she said, this is true, this is true. This is, there is no embellishment. I promise this really happened. And she, she said, she said, well, I can one-up you. I can cough and fart at the same time. <laughs> and you didn't bank on that on wedding day, did you? Huh? I'm just saying. Right? I mean, that, that, when you dreamed about what it was going to be like, that, that conversation was not in the mix, right? Am I telling the truth? And so you, you've got this expectation, this perfection thing is coming, and it is, but not here. Not going to happen at your house. Not going to happen in your, your lineage. It's not going to happen at your workplace. It's not going to happen. And, but you, you have to live with the expectation that one day you're going to be in front of Jesus. 
And that, that, that should be the thing that alters all the decision-making process of what you are going to participate in, what you're not going to participate in, what, what, what good characteristics are going to come flying out of, your, out of your life because you know one day you and him are going to be like this. So you can't live your calling unless, like Jesus, you're becoming. I want to say, I don't, I'm gonna, we're going to wrap the, I'm going to ask, the guy, can you guys come back up and get ready to play a song for me? Your destiny is wrapped in becoming more like Jesus. Nothing, nothing else affects your destiny more than the progression towards Jesus. And I want to say this really loudly. You should strive for perfection. That's what First, first, first John 3 says, right? We're going to purify ourselves because he's pure because we're walking towards him, right? But you have to be content with progression. You listen to me? If you if you're trying to set if only thing you'll settle for is perfection, you're going to be really frustrated. You're going to be really angry. You're going to become very legalistic, and you're going to end up in a place that you're not going to become like Christ. You're going to become like a Pharisee. And here's the deal: you've got to be content. You've got to be content with progression. Progression for yourself, so discouragement doesn't set in. Progression for others, so frustration doesn't get set in. Are you hearing me? Romans 8, 28, 29, read like this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Everything works for good if we love God and are called according to his purposes. And we often stop there and don't read the rest of the context of what Jesus, what, what Paul says by the Holy Spirit. He says this. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son. The things that are going on in your life right now are working for good. They're not working for comfort, and they're not working for convenience, and they're not working for what you want like Burger King. They're working for your good. And as all moms know, sometimes what their kids want are what they want and they make life convenient and they make life comfortable and they you know they make things feel good but they don't always work for good so mom says what no right the same thing is true of our father in heaven who's a better father better parent than any mom we've ever ever had and he wants things to work for our good not for our comfort and not for our convenience he wants it to work for our character. And so right now, you may be in a really awesome time of life, like things are just clicking. Can I remind you God's allowing those things to click for the purpose of giving you the opportunity to become more like Christ. That like Christ in your abundance, whatever that might be, you become more like Christ from out of your abundance, giving away what God's given you. If it's forgiveness, if it's love, if it's joy, if it's peace, if it's whatever. Whatever good thing is going on right now, that should be working for your good by allowing you to become more like Christ. But simultaneously, whatever's going on difficult in your life and hard in your life is working to the same end. And he's not worried about you being comfortable and he's not worrying about life working out for your convenience and according to your time schedule. He's worried about your life working out for you to become more like Jesus. 
And those sandpaper moments and those filing hard on you moments are really difficult. But in the end, what he wants is for you to become more like him. See, in those moments are the times we learn the depth of God's grace. When life's really difficult and somebody's hurt or betrayed us, that's a chance to become grow like Christ because Christ is the one who hung on the cross in the middle of all that pain and suffering. He's the one who says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If you're in the middle of something like that right now, this is your chance not to get what you think you deserve, but to give away to somebody what they don't deserve and become more like Jesus. If you're in the middle of something really difficult and, and, and feels like things are being stripped away from you, it's because there's, you've added more to your life that's not Christ-like. And he wants to add to you character like First Peter says. Are you with me? And I want to say this. We, we, we are called not so much to a job we're, as much to a person. We are not called but so much to a position as to the development of our character and our integrity. In our endeavor to, to grow, to be like Jesus, we will find our individual callings. And the more we become like him, the more impact and change we will bring to the world around us. You want to change your home life? Become more like Jesus. You want to change your work arena? Become more like Jesus. You want to change your neighborhood? Become more like Jesus. You want to change your kids? Become more like Jesus. You want to see your spouse change? Become more like Jesus. You want to see that boss of yours change? Become more like Jesus. You want to see the world around you change? I talked a lot about political climates and stuff. Be more like Jesus. See, God's more truly concerned more about your likeness to him than he is your performance. I'm going to lift something off of you real quick. He's not worried about your performance. He's not worried if you mess up a line. He's not worried if you make a misstep on the, on, on the dance floor. He's not worried about if you get up here with a microphone and say something stupid. He's not worried about it. He's, wor- he's more concerned with your connection to him than he is about you working for him. The closer him you become, the more like him you'll be. Check this out. Have you ever found yourself, there, there, there's a child of mine who's been hanging out with somebody, and I'll, I won't mention names or anything, but I found them as I listened to them talk, they picked up gestures and terminology, and different things like that as they walk closely with this person. And sometimes you can't tell the difference. And there are times, have you ever noticed, like, like the longer you live with someone, the more like you start to look? Anybody notice that? You ever seen that old couple walking around at the flea market? You know what I'm talking about? And you swear they weren't husband and wife, they were brother and sister. Anybody seen that couple? You know what I'm talking about? And you know, it's like the more you become, the more you walk with them, the more like them you become. And so here's the deal. I know we're not in West Virginia, that West would be funny. <laughs> no cousins or anything. Anyway, um, the, more, the more like you become, and here's the deal, you've got to become more like Jesus. So I want to ask you a couple of questions. I'm going to let these guys play a song, and I want you to process, okay? Do you, do you realize your first calling is to Jesus himself, is, is in becoming like Jesus? Do you recognize that? Nothing else is more important than that. Nothing else I've said the last four weeks is more important than you becoming like Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. And if you have delusions of some sort of grand ministry God's going to call you to and you're not worried about becoming like Jesus, you're going to miss it anyway. It doesn't matter. And if you arrive there, you'll blow it up. How many times have we seen that? Some known ministry person, get up up there and be known by everybody and then crash and burn, right? Don't want any of that for anybody, right? 
What situations in your life right now is God using to shape your character? What I want you to think about that right now. What, what circumstances, what things are going on in my life right now that God is using for the express purpose of shaping my character? And when you answer that question, I want you to think about this. I want you to find accountability in those areas. That one point where that one situation is working on your patience or your honesty or your whatever, your moral excellence, your your self-control, your whatever, whatever it is. Find accountability in that. Find somebody to say, you know what, I'm in the middle of something. I know what God's doing. I've sorted it out this morning. You need to get to with a group member or a group leader or somebody and go, listen, I want you to pray with me about this. I want you to hold me accountable for this. I want to be more like Jesus tomorrow than I was today. I want you to do this. I want you to change your scale of measurement. Some of you today are going to leave here thinking, well, Pastor Aaron said, and you're going to start lining your life up next to mine. Well, Daryl's like, I'm going to wear shorts next week. Which is okay. But here's the deal. I'm not the standard. Okay? Even though I look fashionable today. I'm not the standard. Change your scale of measurement. Nobody else in here are you to be like. Not one other person. Women, if there's that one lady in here, you, you think she's it on a stick, and you just, you just think, if I could be like her, stop that. Men, if you're thinking, I should be that kind of husband, and blah, 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 stop that. Jesus is the scale of measurement. Jesus is the only scale of measurement. Shoot, in this moment, shoot for perfection, but rejoice and be, in, be, be content with progression. You hear me? Some of you are tired and frustrated because you've shot for perfection, you missed, and you can't help it, and you're really tired, and you're wore out because you just keep seeing all the glaring things you're not doing, and Jesus is like, listen, I got grace for that. Just keep walking near me. We'll sort it out. Are you hearing me? You can look back five years ago. I'm a better follower of Jesus than I was, than I was 10 years ago. Amen, right? And rejoice in this moment as we worship. God has given you everything you need for living a godly life. That's the word we read directly from the scriptures. Everything you need to be who he wants you to be, he's already made available to you. Oh, that's rejoicing. We're not in lack this morning. I want you guys to stand. And I want you to have a moment with Jesus. And I want you to think about those things. You're calling to be like Christ, the situations that are in your life right now, and you, God supplying what you need. Thanks for listening to the CT Podcast, a ministry of Church Triumphant. Another opportunity for you to be equipped and encouraged to win, disciple, and send. For further information, go to www.churcht.org.